thank you, Chad. Thank you for sharing your, your testimony with us. And uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it takes some nerve to come up front, I think, and to share with, with people you don't know. And, and so I really appreciate uh, Chad just sharing what God has done in his life you know, what he, and what God is continuing to do and to share even the, the struggle, right? The struggle at times to, to walk with the Lord and be faithful. Um, you know, I love to hear people's testimonies. I, I, I really do. I hope that someday we can get all of you or more of you up here to share because you all have a story. You have a, have a story to share, a story to tell. And it's a story of, of change and a story of God. And I think there's no, better, there's no better change than that which God does in our lives because only he has the, the power and the ability to move us in a certain way or to transform us over time. Having said that, for most of us, change, right? The word change is a dirty word, right? Change, uh, it, it never comes easy. It's human nature for us to right, adopt, just to adopt a certain way of, uh, of living and of thinking. And, uh, you know, we have the same things for breakfast. We drive the same way to church. We sit in our same seats, right, when we come to church, week after week, and we're creatures of habit. Now, don't get me wrong, it's good to have certain habits, certain things that keep you safe, certain things that keep you healthy, you know, like uh, coming to church, church, coming to church is a good habit. Praying is a good habit. Uh, brushing your teeth, who brushes their teeth every day? Yeah? Yeah. Who flosses every day? Uh, <laughs> right? Who uses mouthwash? Right? Those of you who didn't raise your hand, we can tell. Right? We, those are good habits to have. But sometimes we get so set, right? so cemented in our ways, we don't even want to consider changing. Right? We reject change, we resist change right out of the chute even if the change is better or it can improve our lives. Um, now, I'm dating myself, dating some of you, but how many of you remember the rotary telephone from the 1960s, 70s, 80s? Right? See that little uh, yellow thing in the middle there? That's for, for those of you who are <laughs> what, younger than 30 or 40. Um, that's the rotary telephone, right? And uh, you can see the kids gathering around wondering, hey, where's the screen on this thing? Right? How do I put this in my pocket? <laughs> right? Right? This is when you actually had to dial the telephone number. Right? You know, my parents had their rotary phone well into the 1990s. <laughs> yeah. Right? Here's the kind of television set we had when I was growing up. Right? Is that up there? Right? You had to have the two knobs right, on the right-hand side, because you needed UHF and VHF channels, right? There was no remote control, guys. You actually had to get up and turn the knobs if you wanted to change the channel. Right? Basically, I was my parents' remote. <laughs> right? Hey, hey, get up, change the channel. <laughs> it, took, it took a long time for, for us to change 
you know, from my parents. They had a TV like this for a long time. And I fear that as I get older, I'm becoming more and more like my dad. Right? Especially with like phones and TVs and stuff, way, you know, way behind what's new. But also, you know, like with my dad, right? Dad, let's do this. No, I don't want to do that. No, that's not good. No, I don't want to go there. Right? And, and I'm probably making him sound worse than he actually is. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. Um, but doesn't that sound familiar? Right? Maybe especially as we, as we age. Someone once said, some people will change when they see the light. Others change only when they feel the heat. You know, in our sermon series, Imperfect Disciples, we're looking at how the disciples, Jesus' chosen followers, how they were ordinary guys, regular people. You know, we get used to putting them on a pedestal, but they weren't all that different from, from us. They were fishermen, they were farmers, right? tax collectors, everyday folks who had families, they had homes, they complained about their jobs, probably complained about their neighbors. They made mistakes. They had fears. They stuck their foot in their mouths and they screwed up on the biggest stage. Right? Can you imagine your life being reflected in Scripture for years to come? Yet Jesus loved these guys and God used them to change the world. And in the process of walking with Jesus, you know, over days, weeks, months, they grew, and they changed, and they were transformed. And so should we. Because discipleship, church, is a process. Discipleship is a process. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, and we're going to look at verses 27 through 35. And it'll also be on the screen here. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord, for our church. We thank you for each person here. And as we gather, we ask that you open your word to us this morning. We pray, Lord, that we would receive it with open hearts and open minds. And we would make the changes, Lord, that you desire for us. Move in us, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the Apostle Peter was an interesting, interesting person. He was gregarious, he was strong, he was spontaneous, and he was impulsive. In the New Testament, Peter is mentioned far more than any of the other, any of the other disciples. Probably because he was always around Jesus, right? And because he wasn't afraid to speak up. In verse 27, when Jesus said, who do people say I am? The, all the disciples, they all spoke up, right? They all piped in. They said, Elijah, John the Baptist, one of the prophets. But when Jesus says, what about you? Who do you say I am? Right, he got quiet. Except Peter, right? Peter, he blurts out, you are the Messiah, right? which is true. Then it says Jesus began to explain how he must suffer, be rejected, and killed. You know, we're so accustomed in our modern age, we're so accustomed to talking about Jesus going to the cross and dying, talking about the crucifixion. I think it's, we're so accustomed to it, it's easy to overlook when we read Scripture how jarring that prospect would have been for the disciples. Right, put yourself in their place. Jesus was the center of their lives. They were a ragtag group. And Jesus was their teacher. He was their leader. He was their friend. They, they thought, right, they thought he was going to gather the people, right, and gather the Israelites and conquer the Romans. Not quietly be rejected, suffer, and die. It says Jesus spoke plainly about this. This must have devastated them. Isn't it shocking when someone you know or someone you're close to speaks plainly about their death? Right? That they will be leaving. That they're not expecting to survive or to stay around. So you can imagine Peter's mindset. Right? Oh, no, 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 no. Right? That's not the way this is supposed to work. And he pulls Jesus aside and he rebukes him. Right? The disciple rebuking the master. And what does Jesus do? Does Jesus just stand and take it? No. Right? He, comes at, he comes back at Peter. He comes at him hard. Like, how dare you? Right? And he treats Peter harshly. And if you look at the scripture, you've got to ask yourself, why? Right? Peter, the reason he rebuked Jesus is he didn't want to see Jesus suffer. And he certainly didn't want to lose him. Right? And that's understandable from a friend's perspective, from a human perspective. But because of this, Peter was standing in the way. Peter was blocking the way, resisting God's plan for Jesus to go to the cross. And that's why Jesus says, 
Get behind me, Satan. You do not have God's concerns in mind, merely human ones. Peter and the disciples, they needed to change how they saw Jesus and what it meant for him to be the Messiah. See, Jesus is the Messiah that we want when things are good, when people are being healed, when storms are being calmed, when the bread and the fish are being multiplied. We like that Jesus. We follow that Jesus. But what about when things don't go the way we want? When God doesn't answer our prayers the way we think he should. You know, it's been mentioned here, Susan mentioned it, um, it's been a tough week here at the church. Our Naomi House missions team, who was commissioned up here last week, right, they were supposed to leave for Arizona yesterday. But earlier this week, we had to cancel the trip because of COVID at Naomi House. And I can't tell you how disappointing that was for the team. Right, 27 people were, t- were, were ready to go taking time off work, right, set time in their schedule aside, had kind of put their hopes into it, right, and then got, and then got crushed. I know some team members had been looking forward to the trip all year. Right, how disappointing. If Jesus could calm the storms, surely he could have prevented COVID at Naomi House this week. If he could heal a blind man, why didn't he heal my friend's father who passed away last night? If he could cast out a demon, why doesn't he help everyone with depression or mental illness? See, could Peter follow a Messiah that didn't line up with his expectations? Can we follow Jesus when we don't get what we want. And I think our picture of him needs to grow over time. Our understanding of him and how he works in our lives should change as we come to church and we pray and we read the Bible. Discipleship, following the Lord, growing in the Lord, is a process. You know, one of the things about Chad's testimony this morning that I can relate to is coming to the Lord at an early age. Right? Chad said he came to the Lord at, what, six? I, I, I came to the Lord at 11. But like so many of us, I didn't understand what it all meant. One of the things I wasn't very clear about was the cost of following Jesus. And that's something I've had to learn as time has gone on. That Jesus isn't just an add-on He's just not supplemental. He's just not an accessory to our lives. Right? Some people think they can go about their lives, right? they can pursue all of the world's pleasures, and they can call Jesus as Lord. Here in verse 34, right, if you look back at the passage, he clearly states, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. You know, our modern-day picture of the cross is very sanitized. Right? Today, the cross is a symbol of God's love and redemption. 
and Christ's sacrifice. But in first century Palestine, the cross meant only one thing. Death. It was an instrument of Roman execution. Not God's love and mercy. So when Jesus says to the people here, take up your cross, it must have been bewildering to them. It must have been terrifying to them. What? Right? Go die? Be executed? Right? It must have taken Peter and the disciples a while to understand that Je- this was Jesus' call to put him first above everything else, above their own interests, and to sacrifice themselves, if you will. This was a further call to discipleship for the disciples. One they couldn't have fully understood when Jesus first called them and said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Right? They couldn't have understood, I think, what Jesus fully meant when he did that. I couldn't have understood at 11. Chad couldn't have understood. You couldn't have understood the full extent of God's call when you first came to him. But that's okay. Because discipleship is a process. In Philippians 3, the Apostle Paul talks about those who live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Right? You may know that passage. And these aren't, he's not just referring to people who don't believe in the resurrection. He's talking about people who say they believe, but aren't willing to take up their cross. They want to have God, and they want to do their own thing. But that's not discipleship. In Philippians 3, 19 and 20, he says, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Right? That sounds like what Jesus said to Peter. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, our reward is in heaven. We look beyond, and that's where our hearts and minds should be. True discipleship requires self-denial and self-sacrifice because we're not strong enough right, to avail ourselves of the things of this earth, the things of this world, and all of its right, accoutrements and temptations. We're not strong enough to resist those on our own. We will make an idol out of anything. Right? Sports, money, comfort, homes, family, friends, popularity, career, everything. We make an idol out of it and we put it on par with God or above God. And that's why it's impossible to indulge in the things of this world and embrace the cross. Sadly, the church, the Christian church, hasn't always been good about this. The Christian church, at the time of the Renaissance, okay, this is 14th, 15th, 16th century in Europe, it was all about wealth and status. It dominated the personal, social, and political lives of the people. The church boasted impressive, magnificent cathedrals and structures and properties Right, which we all see when we go, well, I've never been, but if you've been to Europe, right, 
the cathedral and these big, huge churches. And at that time, the church, the church could command, it could command armies to do its will, and its leaders live like royalty. And it was a shameful, ungodly display of worldly indulgence. But in the Reformation, okay, the Reformation in the 16th century, the church returned to the Bible and it returned to what they would say is a theology of the cross. Churches got back to doing the work of the Lord, which is loving God, sharing the gospel of Christ, and serving others. Right? To follow Jesus is to serve and to submit, not control, not lord over, not indulge. Can we follow Jesus if it means denying ourselves and taking up our cross? You know, back when I was in college, I was part of a Christian fellowship, and each year the group had a certain theme for its focus. And one year the theme was the upside-down kingdom. Right, the upside-down kingdom. Reminds me of a cake. And I learned a lot about Jesus' teachings and how they were counterintuitive to how we think. Right? And you probably know some of these passages, right? Things like, the first shall be last. And it's better to give than to receive. Right? Well, this must have been one of those teachings. Verse 35 here in our passage. It says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. We are saved by grace through faith and his work on the cross. Right? Not by anything you or I could do, but what Jesus is saying here is that we need to relinquish control. We need to give it up. It's an act of our volition. If you try to save your life by holding onto it and living for yourself, then he can't save you. Peter's learning here that faith in Christ is not about the elimination of risk. It's not about the preservation of our earthly lives. It's not about the ability to control the circumstances. Instead, Jesus asks us to abandon our lives and relinquish control to God. And it's scary. You know, I'm just starting to teach uh, my son, Colson, how to drive. Talk about scary. <laughs> right? To, to let him get behind the wheel, not just get behind the wheel, right, but actually turn on the car and actually put it in gear. Right? You parents who taught your, your kids to drive, right, you know the feeling, especially the first time you did it. There's no emergency brake, right? And there's no second steering wheel on the passenger side. But at a certain point, right, I've got to let go and make sure there aren't a bunch of people in parked cars around. Right? But I've got to relinquish, I gotta relinquish control. Giving up control is difficult. It's hard. But let me tell you, relinquishing control and placing my life into the hands of a wise and faithful and loving and eternal God 
That's so much better than me trying to drive myself. That doesn't mean I, you know, when I take, when we, Colson and I go out, it means, doesn't mean I take a nap and close my eyes, right, and like let faith handle it, right? Not just whatever happens, happens. But I'm done. I'm done pretending that I've got everything under control. And I'm done pretending that I'm completely self-sufficient. Aren't you? Peter has to ask himself in this passage, is he willing to lose his life for Christ and for the gospel? Right? How about us? Do we trust him? Is he worth it? When the rich young ruler walked away from Jesus, he obviously didn't think it was worth it. Right? He must have done the, the math in his head. And he walked away. And if we're completely honest with ourselves, completely honest, right, you might say, I don't know if I could give up everything. My job, my career, my home, my friends, my family. I don't know, even if I'm not asked to do that literally, if I can put myself in that place and give up everything to follow Jesus. I want to, but I don't know. Right? Church, I think, I think God can work with that. He can work with that honesty and that sincerity. Right? When Jesus says these things to his disciples here in Mark, I think they weren't sure, just like us, they weren't sure whether they could give up their lives either. Right? Heck, Peter didn't want Jesus to go to the cross. I couldn't imagine that he was prepared to go himself. Discipleship is a process. And that's why we keep walking with the Lord. As social psychologists say that we don't usually make radical, wholesale, comprehensive, life-changing decisions all at one time, right? Obviously. Right? It's progressive instead of moving one huge, gigantic boulder all at one time, it's usually, it's usually a process of moving a few stones at a time, and then moving a few more stones, and then a few more. Right? This is how change happens, and God works with us. Peter and the disciples had to change. Right? You see the, the, the title in the program, it is the need for change. The disciples had to change. They weren't ready-made followers who had it all down from day one. They were just like us. Discipleship, which is just a fancy word for following Jesus, is a lifetime process. When Jesus told Peter, follow me, and Peter left his fishing boat, do you think Peter actually knew that Jesus was going to say, I'm going to suffer and die, and so must you? Right? Not, not in a million years, but Peter changed, and so did the rest of them. In fact, all of them, almost all of them, ended up sacrificing their lives for the faith. Not because they were forced to, but because over time they understood the gospel to be true and Christ to be worth it.
Beloved, this is what it means to be an imperfect disciple. To journey with Jesus, learning and changing each day how we see him in our lives, letting him ask you from time to time, who do you say I am? Learning to forsake the things of this earth so that he can reign more in our lives and giving him control, relinquishing control that we might receive the abundant life that he promises. Maybe you haven't grown in your faith like you feel like you should have. Maybe you've been a Christian a long time and you feel like, you know, I haven't really grown that way. Maybe you're not a Christian and you've heard about the Lord. Right? And you've never really, you've, you've never really given yourself to him. Here's the good news. You're here now. You're here today. And Christ says, come. He says, come just as you are with your fears with your inadequacies with your flaws he just says come and Jesus will receive you he will change you and he will give you life let's pray before we pray I'd like to call the worship team forward and the prayer counselors forward and just to say, during our closing song, if you feel the need to pray, if you would like someone to pray with you, uh, feel free to, to come forward and to pray with our counselors. Father God, Lord, we have so much to learn. Lord, we're not where we want to be. We're not where you want us to be sometimes. Lord, we just want to give ourselves to you. We want to come, just like you ask us, Lord, and to give. Uh, Turn over control to you. Help us to do that, Lord. Even if it's a little by little, I pray that you help us to open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to you to see you move and for you to change and to work in our lives. We ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and move us and change us in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand up so we can sing this last song. <laughs>